So today, we're going to be talking about the heart of Christmas that brings joy in all circumstances. Can you feel it in the air this time of year? Some people don't even like this time of year. I love this time of year. Some people go, I don't want to hear the Christmas music. I don't want to watch the Christmas movies. I watched, me, and, me and my wife watched two last night. We're going to watch, we're going to watch another one tonight. And uh, I just love watching Christmas movies. Uh, that makes me happy. Uh, because I think there's even the, the secular Christmas movies are woven in there the story. They don't realize it, by the way, but we can learn a lot. If, if, if we look at it from a Christian point of view when we're watching it, we can get so much happiness out of it because we can see why this is happening. But it's getting closer. There's only a few weeks to go now. A few weeks, and it's going to be Christmas. Two weeks today, it's going to be Christmas. And, and the celebration of the birth of Jesus, our Savior. See, we're we're right now in the middle of this sermon series discovering what is the heart of Christmas, what makes up the heart of Christmas. You see, it can be lost, though. We can lose Christmas. We can lose Christmas when we start thinking about the, the gifts and the decorations, which, by the way, I love all of that. I, I, I love giving gifts. I love that's that, that I love giving gifts more than receiving gifts. That's that's just who I am. Um, people get annoyed because they ask me what I want for Christmas, and I don't tell them. Except for Marilyn Monroe picture. <laughs> that that that's that that was for my mother in my mother in law. <laughs> what? So, but we know that, that, that Jesus was born to bring the gifts of hope, of peace, of joy, of love. And that is the real reason for the season. So I think it's wonderful that we give gifts. I think it's wonderful that we put up decorations. I, I just think we need to remember why we're doing it. We don't want to be dragged into the world and why the world does it. The world does it so people can get richer and they can sell more stuff. And it's not about the cost of a gift, by the way. It's the thought that goes behind it that matters. Because we only give gifts because we received gifts. And that's what, like when I'm giving my grandkids gifts, I'm telling them, look, I'm only doing this because I want to show you that, that this is what Jesus did for us. He gave us a gift. And it's a way of teaching and bringing joy and happiness to them. So last week we looked at, at, at so, so the first week we looked at, at how we are offered hope. In the middle of our circumstances. No matter what our circumstances are, we have hope. And we've all lived long enough that we know that God, if you're a Christian, pulls through. 
he, he always pulls through for us. So we have trust. We have trust when he said in the Old Testament, I'm going to send somebody. And he did. He did send somebody. We have hope because God never lies to us. And last week we talked about this wonderful gift of peace. You see, Jesus sacrificed his life for us so we could have peace. Not not that life's going to be all honky-dory and nothing's going to go wrong. That's not the peace he offers. The peace he offers is that we know whose we are, who we belong to. We can trust him to have his best interests for our lives, always. See, we are made right with God, ourselves, and others, not because we're good, because Christ paid the price for our sin, which makes us able to have forgiveness for ourselves, forgiveness to others, and forgiveness from God. And now this week, I want to introduce you to one more piece of the heart of Christmas. A joy that is ours no matter, no matter what the circumstances or situations we are facing. Because I don't know about you, but every Christmas I've ever celebrated hasn't been amazing. Because there's problems that come up. People die all year round. I've lost some very uh, important family members at this time of year. So, the, 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 but, but you can have joy in them circumstances. So, to begin our discussion today, I want to share a few different scenarios with you. And I want you to raise your hand if it brings you joy, if this would bring you joy. Or leave them down if it wouldn't, okay? You got that? Simple instructions. Raise your hands if this would bring you joy. And just do nothing if it wouldn't, okay? So. (laughs) You don't even know what the question is yet, mom. (laughs) Here is is the first one. And I had to use McDonald's drive-thru for my wife and my mother-in-law. So, but that. This is what I'm going to ask you. If you go through the drive-thru, right, and you order your favorite food or your favorite drink, beverage, yeah, okay, and you find out when you get to the window, somebody in front of you paid for your order, does that bring you joy? Okay. Second scenario. You wake up on Christmas morning. And you find out that it snowed four inches. Does this bring you joy? Or maybe not, because remember, you've got to shovel that snow. So, does it bring you joy? I'm down here, by the way. It doesn't bring me, doesn't bring me joy. I'm with David, palm trees and sand. That's a good Christmas. Okay, the last one. You receive 
that letter or a call that you've been waiting for in anticipation, maybe from a loved one that you haven't talked to for a while, or you find out some results that you've been waiting for, in there, that it's really, really good news. Does that bring you joy or no joy? Okay. See, maybe some of you saw these situations as joy or not joy, okay? And that, 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 that's just a perspective. That's just a perspective. But our joy in life is largely connected with circumstances, isn't it? You've just proved it to me. That your joy is connected to circumstances. But it's not supposed to be. When things are going well, we feel good. When things are going poorly, we feel bad. Our joy is like ebbing and flowing. But that's not what the Bible says. See, I believe one aspect of the heart of Christmas is that Jesus came so that our joy would not fluctuate with our environment, but could remain steady. It could stay steady all the time. You can have joy. And I believe this because I believe that, that, that the Bible teaches this. I mean, Paul was in the prison in, and he writes to the Philippians, okay? He's in a Roman prison when he writes that letter. Yet that letter is completely about joy. Okay, I don't know if you realize, you go, well, they get to watch TV in, in, in jail. They get, to, they get to go outside. They get three meals a day. So we have this poor vision of what a prison is supposed to be in Roman days. A prison in Roman days, Romans were, 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 were very good at building infrastructure. And they had some of the first sewer systems Okay, so, so they would do this thing where they would run the sewer system through the prisons. So they weren't only damp, they were damp and smelly. And Paul is writing a letter about joy in that circumstances. Honestly, how many of you would write a letter about joy in that circumstances? But, but, but if we get it, like Paul gets it, we would. See, we need to fix our eyes and hearts on Jesus. See, joy is closely related to gladness and happiness. See, that's where we get mixed up. We associate joy with gladness and happiness. It's associated with them, but it's, it's just a distant cousin. See, although joy is more, you see, joy is more of a state of being than an emotion. Joy is a result of a choice. J.I. Packer says this, Joy is not an accident or a temperament or an unpredictable providence. Joy is a matter of choice. We can all choose, choose to be happy. 
to be joyful. We can, we can all choose to be joyful. We don't have to have our life going smoothly to feel the joy that I'm talking about. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians uh, 5, 22 through 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, having joy, having joy, the fruits of the Spirit, by the way, are the fruits that we are supposed to have as Christians. These, are, these, are, these aren't like, this is what we're supposed to have as Christians. They're not suggestions. Let's not take them as suggestions. If we have the Spirit live inside of us, we're supposed to have the Spirit of joy. See, having joy is part of the experience of being a Christian. As John began his gospel letter, he gave a different perspective on the birth of Christ. I actually like uh, John's talent of the birth of Christ. You see, rather than telling us the story with the shepherds and the magi and the manger, he gave us a big picture example of what took place in Bethlehem. Paul wrote this. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. What John is describing here is known as the incarnation. See, coming from the Latin word carne. That's how we get chili chili carne. Chili con carne is chili with meat. Jesus put on flesh, okay, carne, which means flesh. The incarnation was God putting on skin and becoming one of us. See, he was fully man and fully God. It says the word became flesh. Note, note, the word, it's capitalized. And the reason it's capitalized is because it's talking about the person of Jesus. He is called the Word word because he perfectly embodies all of Scripture in human flesh. By the way, he lived here on earth. You see, so when Jesus was born in a manger, he was God coming to live among us. He was God coming to live among us as one of us. As one of us, with skin and bone and flesh and blood. You see, if you read your Bible, which I suggest you should, right, you will find out that that Jesus was fully in the flesh because he got tired. We know that because he took a nap on the the boat. That's why naps are okay, by the way, because if Jesus took naps, we can take naps. So, So there you go. If you only take that out of this sermon, but... But, but Jesus took that. He got hungry. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He, he experienced everything you experienced. He experienced pain. He experienced loss. He experienced 
all the feelings that you will ever experience in your life. Because he was fully flesh, fully person. See, so when Jesus was born in a manger, he was God coming to live among us as one of us with the skin and bones, the flesh, blood. You see, this passage gives us two reasons for joy that does not have to change with the seasons or shift with our situations. See, it can be a constant in our lives if you just got this idea and this, gra- this grounding attitude in the face Of all the world has to offer. We can have joy. Because God came to us. God came to us. That is big. That is big. You see a common misconception people carry around with them. Is that to be reunited with God. We have to. Work hard. We have, to be su- we have to work super hard and be super good. Or, or God's not going to let us in. We cannot be perfect, but we strive to be perfect. To try and please God. Yet, here we, this is the best news you're going to hear today. That God came to you. You didn't have to go to God. He came to you. See, one of the greatest joy robbers in our lives is thinking that we can never be good enough for for God. Because you can't be good enough, by the way. So why keep saying it to yourself? See, I think I'm a bit better than I was 20 years ago. I'm a lot better than I was 40 years ago. But here's the the thing. Is that I used to think when I first came to Christ, that if I get better, if I work at this, God will love me more. God's going to love, God saved me and he accepted me here, but he doesn't love this version of me. He loves this version of me. In the future, when I'm perfect. But after a few years, I realized that was never going to happen. I was never going to be perfect. And I also realized that God can't love me anymore. So guess what? He can't love you anymore. He can't love you any more than when you was at your worst or when you're at your best. He doesn't love you anymore. He's incapable of that. Because he loves you like he loves you. There is no better love than that. So he can't love you more. He can't. He loves you as much as he can because he loves you with all of his heart. See, we are broken and flawed people who hurt others. We make mistakes and we live selfish lives. We all do that. None of us do this perfectly. 
See, in, 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 uh, in, in Discipleship Journal by Paul Figpan, he wrote, about, he wrote about an encounter with his daughter, and this is what he wrote. I remember coming home one afternoon to discover that the kitchen I had worked so hard to clean only a few hours before was now in a terrible wreck. My young daughter had obviously been busy cooking with the ingredients were scattered along with dirty bowls and utensils across the counters and floor. I was not happy with the situation. Then as I looked a little more closely at the mess, I spied a teeny note on the table, clumsily written and smeared with chocolatey fingerprints. The message was short. This is what it said. I'm making some for you, Dad. And it was signed, Your Angel. In the midst of the disarray and mess, and despite my irritation, joy suddenly sprang up in my heart. Sweet and pure. My attention had, bit, had been redirected from the problem to the little girl I loved. As I encountered her in the brief note, I delighted in her. With her, with her simple, simple goodness in focus, I could take pleasure in seeing her hand at work in the situation that seemed other, otherwise disastrous. See, this is how God works in our lives. We, 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 we are that messy kid in the kitchen messing everything up. And then God is still loving us and going, oh, that's my little boy. That's my little girl. They're trying. They're trying. See, many times... Many times our life can look messy from our our perspective. It can be hard for us to find reason for joy in our circumstances. However, if we look closely, we might see God coming near to us like he did that first Christmas night to let us know he is making something, something of our lives when we are tempted to feel hopeless. Because everyone in here feels hopeless at some point. Everyone in here has them feelings that I can't control this situation. That is hopelessness. See, joy is at the heart of Christmas because knowing that we could never make it to him, We could never get to God. He came to us. That God said they're never going to make it. Look at them. They are never going to make it. Not one of them would ever make it here. So what am I going to do? I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son Jesus and he is going to pay for their mistake. And it's, their, it's his righteousness I'm going to look at instead of their unrighteousness. See, Christianity is the only religion in the world where the deity does what is necessary to unite with humanity. 
Every religion says, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. And then I will be pleased with you. But, but God says, basically, you stink at this. I'm going to send my son because you're never going to make it. See, Paul empathetically makes this statement in the book of Romans as he insists we can be, set, we can, we can be saved through Jesus Christ. He says this in Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you go to yourself, well, I wasn't even born. I wasn't even born when, when Christ died. But you see, he died for your sins. See, Jesus, when he died on the cross, didn't just die for past sins. Because that would be bad for all of us. And for the people that were still living at that time. Because if he only died for the sins that were committed up to his death, then what was going to go on with all the sins that were going to be committed in the future? See, God knowing all things, okay, he didn't just die for the sins of the past. He didn't just die for the sins of the past and the present. He died for all sin. All sin. While you were still sinners. See, God knew who you were going to be. See, we just perfect it. If you really get into reading your Bible, this is what you're going to find out. Adam and Eve sinned, okay? Their children sinned a little bit better. And their children sinned a little bit better until God decided, oh no, I'm going to flood the earth because it's just progressed so bad. And then after that, he promises never to do that again. And then it just starts up again. That is the whole history of humankind. And if you could open your eyes and look outside, we're not any better. I just had this discussion with my sister when me and my sister had a lot of theological conversations while she was here, because that's what I do. But, but so, so we're talking, and I said, my sister used to think that, that I said, the reason I can't believe in in evolution is because we're not getting any better. We're not getting any better. We're more, we're worse than we were. We're not getting any better. And actually, it's the first time she's actually agreed with me on that subject because we had that conversation seven, eight years ago and it didn't go that way. But we're not getting any better. We're just, we're better sinners. It's just like we are better sinners and the next generation are going to be better sinners. They just sin more, whatever. They just try and get away with more, whatever it is. It's never going to, it just keeps going and going and going. See, but the gift of God's grace is offered to us generously without price because we could never afford it. On our own. I use the analogy like if you've got a credit oh. if you've got a credit card 
and you've got, you've got a bill, okay, and the interest rates on it, and you pay the minimum payment, okay, are you ever going to pay that bill off? No. Because it's just going to keep climbing. And you, by the way, you're going to use it again, so you keep, it keeps going like this. See, and this is the problem, is, is we can never pay off the debt. We can never get rid of that debt. You, you know, we could never be good enough because how do we pay for the past problems? If I started being good and never, never sinned the rest of my life, I'm not saying that's going to happen because it's not. But if I, could, if I could live from now to the rest of my life, I can't pay for all my back sin by not sinning futurely. I wasn't supposed to sin at all. So you can't buy it. It's too expensive. So why we will sin as Christ died for us. This is why the characters in Christmas story are so overjoyed. From the shepherds in the field to Simon at the temple. Because the long awaited arrival of a Messiah. Meant that God had finally come to rescue them. And he's finally come to rescue us. See, when, when Jesus was born, that's what he was bringing. That's why if you read the Christmas stories in the Bible, you'll see all the joy that was in them. See, a, an unborn child, Jackie read earlier, jumped. John the Baptist jumped in the womb of his mother because he was so excited and so full of joy when he realized that he was in the presence of the Messiah. See, this leads to the second reason that joy can be constant reality for us in our lives. It's because of how much God loves us and is committed to our transformation through his power. See, God loves us just as we are. Listen to this. God loves us just as we are and too much to leave us that way. He loves you just the way you are. Just like I said earlier, he can't love me anymore. But he loves me so much that he doesn't want to leave me there. He doesn't want to leave you there. See, if we... If we continue in John's chapter 1, we find out that the author is telling his readers that it is through Jesus that we see the glory and the fullness of God. His arrival among us should fill us with joy because not only did God come close to us, but he came because he loves us. You know... Do you realize that you are loved by God? I mean, do you really, really realize that you are loved by God? Because I think if you really realized how much you were loved by God when you looked in the mirror, you wouldn't be complaining. You'd be saying, this is the person God loves. I'm the way God created me. I mean, I've been told my whole life that I'm too loud. But that's the way God created me. 
And I'm happy with him for creating me that way. Because he had purpose for my life. You know, you have to realize that you're loved by God, not just tolerated by God. He doesn't just tolerate you and, and, or put up with you, but he loves you. Loves you. You know, sometimes we get in relationships and we just tolerate the people around us, if we're honest. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. He loves you. You are deeply loved. In fact, John says this love that God has for us is like that of a father for his children. See, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, this is key to understanding our second reason for abiding in joy. See, when Jesus came to us, he came full of grace. And this grace that John writes about is the Greek word charis, which means favor, kindness, or a gift, or a blessing. Like a wrapped gift shared from one one to another that can bring joy in our hearts. So this gift of Jesus is the grace of God. The grace of God. See, we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. That has got to be one of my biggest pet peeves is people think they earned, earned grace. How can you earn grace? It wouldn't be grace if you earned it. It's a gift that you didn't deserve. That's what grace is. See, we don't deserve it, but God offers it to us anyway. And when we recognize it, he fills us with joy. He fills us with joy. God loves us just the way we are. But Jesus also came full of truth. Grace and truth. You see, the word John uses here is the word, I'll probably say it wrong, aletheia, which means divine reality revealed to men, or a straightforwardness. Jesus holds grace in one hand that allows us to be accepted into his family, and in the other hand, he holds truth that shows us the areas in our lives that must be transformed to live the fullest life possible. Don't you want the fullest life possible? The grace saved you. But if you want the fullest life possible, you have, to, you have to look at God's word and you have to say, well, God doesn't agree with that, so I'm not going to agree with that. I'm not going to do that because I think, not because we have to, because we're saved here, grace. But God wants us to live the fullest life possible and the only way we can do that is live the way we are designed. And the way we are designed is to live the way God told us and God gave us a book that tells us how he wants us to live. It's called the Bible. See, Jesus holds grace in one hand and truth in the other. The book of John expounds upon this idea in 1 John 4, 9. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. See, the author insists the reason Jesus came to us and manifested his love among us is because he desires for us to find incredible joy in him. Incredible joy in him. Stop looking at the world to make you happy. Start looking to God, to Jesus, to fill you with joy. And if you can do that, you can walk through any situation in life. Anything that the world throws at you, you can can conquer because you have the joy of God. See, in order for this to happen, it requires a gift of truth and grace. It is the, the most loving thing to do for one another is to embrace with full acceptance and humble truth telling. Joy is a result of grace. You know, grace is a word that shows up in church a lot. But that is because it is the way in which we are able to live a life of joy. See, we are not perfect. We are not perfect human beings. Why? I'm on the naughty list. I wore this for, for this very reason. Because we're all on the naughty list. None of us can be perfect, so we're all on the naughty list. But we still got the gift. And it wasn't a lump of coal. It was the greatest gift that was ever given. It was the reason we celebrate Christmas today. I'm never going to be off the naughty list. I'm never going to be perfect. I can't live a perfect life. I can try to follow what God wants for my life. But I'm never going to be perfect. Neither are you. So that's why we have to rely on the grace of God. We have to rely on his grace in our lives. That he knows we're going to mess up. But it's already been paid for. See, as a father and a a grandchild, I get this now. I mean, because we have our grandkids come over. They do stuff. They break stuff. And you you can't act. I don't act the same way. I don't get angry. Like, I bet Shelly don't even remember this. One of the first laptops I ever bought, the kids spilt water all over it. Remember that? And I, that was the first incident that I probably handled in my Christian walk with grace to my kids. I come, ho- come home and says, it's just, just a computer, you know? I never got mad at them. But I did put rules down. Said there's no next, <laughs> next computer I bought. There was no cups next to the computer. You see, that's grace and truth. Grace and truth. You see, 
the grace is that it was an accident, and, and even if it wasn't an accident, I have to show grace to them. They're still learning at that time. My grandkids, still learning. They do stuff. But uh, my household lives with grace and truth. There's going to be rules to keep them safe. If, if my grandchild was playing in the road, and I told her not to play in the road, and she didn't listen to me, she would be disciplined. That's truth. Say, look, this is going to happen to you. I'm not going to wait for the truck to hit her. You know? That's what a loving father does. A loving grandfather does. So how much more will God do? He wants to to guide us. See, Our Heavenly Father, He sent Jesus to a manger in Bethlehem because He wanted to dwell among us to demonstrate His amazing grace and life-changing truth. You know, that's amazing to me because God was born not in a palace. He was born in a cave meant to take the sheep out of the weather if you, if you ever look at Bethlehem, it's full of little caves. It like, had little caves, and that's what the stables were. And they would take them in there when there was bad weather. And that's one of what, where Jesus was more than likely was, was born, in, in a cave in the side of a hill. A damp cave. Not a palace. He came like that to relate to everyone. Not just to the high and mighty. See, we can experience joy in our lives no matter the circumstances because we can be confident. We can be confident in knowing that God is with us and God is for us. My favorite pastor, Charles Spurgeon, said it this way. There is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful. But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One dolorous spirit brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. That's what the joy that God offers will do. You can look for happiness in the world, but you will never find true joy because the world doesn't offer joy. Not real joy. Not the joy that if you believe in Christ that you want. See, this Christmas, may may you come to find at the heart of this holiday a deep and abiding joy because of the love of God 
and the sacrifice of Jesus. See, it holds the power to change us and to change the world. See, if we get this, if we get this and we walk around with the gifts that we're gonna, we've talked about, hope, peace, joy, and next week, love, we will change this city. We will grow this church. And it isn't about numbers. It's about making heaven fuller. That's all I care about. I want heaven to be fuller because we existed here. Because if it isn't, at the end of the day, if we can't live this life full of joy and we can't be a witness for God, why are we even here? We're here to reach. That's why I'm so pumped about the angel tree. That's why I was so pumped about the Christmas shield boxes. That's what excites me. Because that's why I believe we exist. To reach lost people in the world. D.L. Moody says this. Happiness is caused by things that happen around me. And circumstances will mar it. But joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the day. Joy flows in the night as well as the day. Joy flows through persecution and opposition. It is an unceasing fountain. Bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring. The world can't see and doesn't know anything about. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. So this week, I want you to ask yourself these questions and they're on your, your, your uh, sheet. Why does, why does the joy we experience in life seem to be circumstantial? How is the incarnation unique to the Christian faith and how does it shape your ideas of sin and forgiveness? Because we're all sinners. And we all need forgiveness. When was the time in life that you received grace? Because we've all got a story where we were the, the receivers of grace. And I'm not talking about the grace of God. I'm talking about grace from other people in our lives. That we didn't deserve that grace, but they showed it to us because they were walking their faith a lot better than we were walking our faith. And how did it make you feel? And finally, how can your deep abiding joy impact the world around you? Because that's why we exist. That's why we exist, to affect the people we're around. We, like, have got a disease. It's called Christianity. We're supposed to infect the world with it. You know? We're supposed to spread it like we spread our germs. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, overwhelm us with with joy this Advent season. Show us the meaning and purpose of true joy as we look to the birth of Christ with eager eyes. See, let our joy be contagious to those around us. Let it spread. Let it spread around the globe. God, let us light 
light us up with love, grace, truth, and of course your joy, God. Because without it, without it we're lost. Without the joy that you bring, we feel pain. Fill us as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.